The sermon text for today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. Listen as I read God's word. The Amalekites defeated. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Here ends the reading. Good morning. Let me invite you to open up to Exodus 17 if you haven't already. Uh, We're going to be doing a little bit of observation of the text a little bit later on, but uh, if you have a Bible or maybe you have it on your device, go ahead and uh, get your eyes on the text there. If I haven't met you, my name is Matt. I serve as one of the pastors here uh, at Elmwood, and uh, if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you, especially, I can see people's faces, this is so great, this is really different, uh, but uh, I, yeah, I would love to meet you, so please, after the service, feel free to come up and introduce yourself, I'd love to connect with you. We're continuing our journey uh, today through the book of Exodus, as we have the Israelites wandering through the wilderness on the way to Mount Sinai. If you're not familiar with Mount Sinai, then you might be familiar with the Ten Commandments, that's maybe a little bit more of a, uh, a cultural assumption, but many people are familiar with those, that's uh, the place where they are going to receive those in the coming weeks. But one of the things we're learning is just how complex uh, this nation of Israel is, and on the other hand, how faithful God is time and time again uh, to these people, and we're going to see that the same today. But let's pray, uh, and then we'll dive in just a little bit more deeply here. So would you pray with me? Father, some of us come here feeling refreshed feeling like that, that tree that is planted by streams of water, feeling like we've just drank fresh water in the desert, while others of us feel uh, like we're facing challenging circumstances, like we're wandering in the wilderness waiting for you to intervene in our circumstances. This morning, Lord, we acknowledge that your word has good news for us, no matter who we are, no matter what we're facing, as it reminds us of who you are and what you've done. Lord, would you be with us as we gaze into your holy word? Would you teach us by your spirit? And would you point us to yourself, the one who can satisfy every single need? Lord, please glorify yourself in this time. We ask this so that the name of Christ would be exalted. And all God's people said, amen. All right. 
So as we go through life, one of the things that uh, God gives us that I believe is a good gift is the ability to look backward towards what has happened in our past. And if you're anything like me, then there's uh, more than certainly moments and scenarios in your life that you look back at the past and you wish that things would have gone just a little bit differently. Now, sometimes we wish those things would have gone differently because uh, of something we did. Maybe it was something foolish or sinful that we did, some kind of action. Maybe it was some words that we said that we regretted or something that we didn't say that we wish we would have. But, but the hope is that we would learn from that experience. But there's other times where some of us face previous challenges and we look back at those and we realize that we couldn't have done anything differently. The whole situation was outside of our control. Maybe it was something someone did to you that was sinful or foolish. Or maybe it was something that was simply the result of living in a fallen or a broken world. Maybe it was some health challenge that you look back on and there was no way you could have avoided it. It just popped up on your radar and you were forced to deal with it. As we look at the nation of Israel today, we see that they have experienced a number of challenging situations. Obviously, from being slaves in Egypt all the way to being in the wilderness now. And some of those things they're in control of, and some of their scenarios they are out of control. They are on their way to Mount Sinai, as I said, and they're led by God himself, who he just miraculously freed them from Egypt. And one of the things that we've observed is that one of the greatest hindrances to God's promise to this specific people group is the people group themselves. Right? The Israelites are, in many ways, their own worst enemy. God describes them as being hard of heart. They are stubborn in many ways. And even though he's trying to, to work with them and through them, they continue to push back on him. In many ways, they are like us and, and we are like them as we both kind of find ourselves in this pattern where we're constantly placing our love in things other than God himself. And then we're forced to repent or turn back to God when we realize that nothing else can truly satisfy us. So the result is that we're in this vicious cycle and that's exactly what we're watching happen today with Israel. When you look at the narrative as a whole, the story that we're following through Exodus, what we need to be careful of is that we don't see Israel as the good guys and Egypt as the bad guys. Because the picture that the story paints is that the Israelites, despite being chosen and loved by God, they often act as the bad guys themselves. In many ways, they reflect the hard-heartedness that we saw in Pharaoh now that they're in the wilderness. They complain to Moses that they don't have enough food or water to drink. They, they revise their memory of, of what it was like to be in Egypt. They say, man, if we were only back in Egypt, things would be better, except for what John had talked about last week, where Egypt was killing their babies and enslaving their families. They have this revisionist history going on that they try and comfort themselves in the moment. And in so doing, they reveal that they are not that different, not only from us, but from the Egyptians after all. And as I said, God continues to show his unwavering love and steadfast commitment to these people, not because of anything inherent in them, but because he is inherently faithful. But along with all the rough edges that Israel has today, we're going to see the first 
external threat that they face. We've seen a lot of internal stuff going on with Israel's heart as they've been in the wilderness, but now is the first external threat to the people of God. And then it comes in the form of a people group named the Amalekites. I know you just heard it read, but we're going to break down this text a little bit. So I'm going to read verses 8 and 9 again. So it says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Today I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So we read this. And if you're, one of your first questions is, okay, who are the Amalekites and why should I care about them at all? Then that's probably a reasonable question here. So here's a little bit of background on the Amalekites. If you're familiar with the book of Genesis, the book just previous to Exodus, the Amalekites are the less popular descendants of Esau, who's Jacob's brother. And they've had their own historical challenges. They have been displaced by the rest of Esau's crew. So they're living in the Sinai Peninsula, the place where Israel is coming through. They live in the northern portion. And all of a sudden, they see this big people group that's coming through the land on their way to Mount Sinai. And they get a little nervous. And so they launch a, a preemptive attack. They find themselves in a place where they don't want to lose their land again. They don't want to be oppressed in any way. They don't realize that the Israelites are too wrapped up in themselves. The Israelites are more worried about getting water from the God who just parted the Red Seas from them than they are worried about attacking the, the regional enemies. They're too selfish, but the Amalekites don't know that. So they worry that they're going to lose their spot. And so they attack Israel, which leads us to the next thing that we see in the text, God's victory for his people. Now it's worth noting, as we look at this, that Israel is not some superior military force at this point. It can be a little misleading when we read this, where Moses gives the command uh, to Joshua, you need to go out and choose some men and go fight the Amalekites like they have a bunch of like, soldiers on hand that they're just going to grab and go to war. But that is not the case when it comes to Israel. They're between, at this point, six and eight weeks out from the Exodus event. Six to eight weeks from when they had just left Egypt, where they were slaves, not soldiers. And the only thing that they were allowed to bring with them was what they were able to grab quickly on hand. They weren't even allowed to let the bread rise. Some of us remember that with the Passover. And they were allowed to grab things from their Egyptian neighbors, which more than likely was probably not just a ton of weapons. So the Israelites are not really the people you're going to look to if you're going to look to a superior fighting force. The only one that stands out here is possibly Joshua as the one having military experience, and this is the first time that we see him pop up in the text. But all that to say, all that to say is Israel is more than likely the underdog in this fight. But that's where it's really important that we observe the text well. If you were in our uh, Bible interpretation class or you watched it online, one of the things that Jacob and I really tried to stress to people was that it's incredibly important that we observe the text well because when we do that, we find little nuggets of, of, of treasure in there that help us to understand what the text is really about. So I'm going to show you a couple of slides and I've kind of highlighted some observations here. So when we look at the text, look at how much it actually talks about military strategy. How much does it talk about it? Not very much, right? Let's see, Joshua 1, Joshua fought them, 
and he was told to pick a few people out, right? Now let's compare that when we observe the text to how much it talks about the staff of God and Moses' hands, right? It's clearly more focused on what's going on with Moses up on the mountain with the staff than it is about the particular strategy that is going on with the military. And for those of you who have been tracking with Exodus, you're probably familiar with both Moses, the chosen leader of Israel that God is working through to bring his people to the promised land, but also his staff, which comes to represent the presence of God with his people and the power of God working through them to defeat Israel's enemies. So what does this all tell us? Okay, it talks way more about Moses' hands and the staff than it does about the actual military strategy. And this is what it tells us, that this passage is not about Israel's victory as much as it is about their dependence upon God for that victory, right? There's almost nothing said about military strategy. They just choose some people. Moses goes up on the hill with the stick and they win, right? There's almost nothing in there about it. And it's not even like the text is about Moses, right? Moses says to choose the people. He goes up on the hill. And before you know it, he's exhausted. By this time, he's a little bit over 80 years old. The text is not about the Israelites, nor is it about simply the battle. It's about God as the one who wins the battle, So when Moses goes up and he's upholding the staff, it's about upholding God as the one who is victorious. The text is very clear when we observe it well. And that's where we lead to the next observation. The people of God remember God. We see that God is the victor in the battle. The Amalekites are defeated, if only for a short period of time here. And as they go on, he gets one more command, Joshua, from Moses. And he says this, verses 14 to 16. The Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and he called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because his hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So this is a little bit of Bible trivia answers for you here, but this is the first time, if anyone asks you, the first time the Bible talks about writing anything down, this is the first time that Moses is ever told to write anything down about what God has done, and it's for a very specific purpose. It's for the purpose of reminding Joshua, who is going to be Israel's future leader, the successor of Moses, when they get to the promised land, it's for the intention of reminding him of God's intention to defeat his enemies. Because the battle is not done with the Amalekites. As we continue to go through the story, and if you continue to read through the Bible, the Amalekites are constantly this thorn in the side of the Israelites. And this lasts all the way to the Persian period. If you're familiar with the book of Esther, that's when the battle finally comes to an end. But this is a long time thing, and Joshua and the rest of the Israelites need to be reminded that God has every intention of achieving not just the short-term victory, but the long-term victory for them as well. But there's even more to be gleaned here when we go into the text. When we look at this word remember, there's actually a word play that exists there in Hebrew, but there's a very specific word that's also used there. It's the word zakar, and it's a a form of that that's used twice there. And when we look at the verb zakar, what we learn is that 
Joshua is not just being commanded to intellectually look back on that moment and just say, hmm, that was cool. Right? He's, he's not supposed to, the goal is not nostalgia. He's not supposed to look back at the good old days of what God had done and simply stay there. What Zakar connotates for us, there's layers there where Joshua is supposed to look back at this battle and be emotionally and physically involved with it. There's supposed to be an awareness and a heeding based on what happened here at this battle. The memory is supposed to be the vehicle that informs his future. It's this deep-seated awareness of who God is, what he's done, and then how we should respond. And I believe that this kind of remembrance is something that we need so deeply, so deeply. Because we all face different battles. We all face different challenges. Some of them are doing, some of them no one's doing, and, and some of them the doing of somebody else. But it's in those most challenging moments that I think it's the easiest for us to forget the gospel. It's the easiest for us to forget to remind ourselves of what God has done for us when we're flooded with anxiety and we're trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? What are you up to? How are you going to bring good out of this that we need that reminder of who God is and that he is consistently faithful in every situation. On some level, we certainly don't know the future, right? So th- this, is, this is to be expected in some case. We know that God at the end of the day wins the battle, but we don't all know all the details between now and then, but we do know the past. And just like Joshua was called to look back at the past here, we are able to look at the past of what God has done in the scriptures. And that is an incredible gift that makes me think about what John was praying, that we would be a people that were just soaked in God's word and that would inform everything about who we are and how we respond. And just as Joshua is called to look back and let the history of God, has, what, what God had done here, inform his future journey, I think that we can look back at what God has done, not only with the Amalekites, but also in Jesus and remember that God has achieved victory for us. Let me just say this as kind of a side note. We don't do that remembering alone. We don't do that in isolation. Because I don't, I don't know about you, but I need you all to remind me of the gospel. In my weakest and in my most vulnerable moments, it's easy for me to forget the truths that I read regularly and on a regular basis could just spout off to you on a whim. It's easy when I'm in a challenging moment to forget those things. And I need all of you to remind me of those so that I can walk faithfully with God into the future. And I, I think that holds true for all of us. We do this as a community. So if you're here and you find that when you're facing challenges, you need that reminder of what God has done for you, then I want you to know that you're in the right place and welcome to the club of people that need to be reminded of the gospel, right? This is a community. God saves us into a community where weekly, when we come here, we certainly worship, but our whole worship gathering is built into remembering what God has done. And as we come to the Lord's table today, I I think that we need to recognize that communion as we take of the elements, the body and blood of Christ, this is a, a significant way that we remember the victory of God as a community. 
And we do this as we remember that God's sacrifice in order to achieve that victory for us. Because when we look at the scriptures, we see certainly that God's people face external threats. But what we also see is that the enemies of God apart from Christ are not all out there. They're right here. Right? Apart from Christ's work, we are enemies of God. And the greatest threat to our lives is not the Amalekites. It's God's holiness. And it's God's justice. And that's not something that is wrong with God. In fact, that is something that's very beautiful and good about God that we should remind each other of. But it's because there's something deeply wrong with us. Now, like I said, we certainly face challenges around us that are important to consider. But what I find, and maybe some of you find this as well, is that most of the time I am my own worst enemy. It's not that there's people out there that are trying to get me. It's, it's what's going on in here. If I'm gonna use the words of the Apostle Paul, it's that I know exactly what God wants me to do, and yet I still choose not to do it, right? It's, that is what the Bible calls sin. And when, and when I, I know what I shouldn't do, there's something in me that's just like, maybe you should try that out. Maybe that seems like a good idea. Apart from Christ, the greatest enemies of God are not out there. They're right here. And yet the beauty of the gospel, as we consider our text this morning, and as we consider going forward into the story when we look at the New Testament, is just like God's representative Moses, right, goes up on this hill. He raises this wooden staff as the banner of God's victory. When we look to the New Testament, we find that God's final banner of victory was when not just any representative, but God himself was marched up onto a hill in the person of Christ and was raised up on a wooden cross. That is our banner of God's final victory over every single enemy. Christ on the cross is the banner of God's victory over every enemy. And when we turn from our sin, what we find when we trust in Christ is that we go immediately from enemies of God to his beloved friends, to beloved members of his household with, the, with this amazing thing that happens in us where his spirit fills us and that tension that Paul describes, we're able to overcome sin. We are set free from our sin. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. And yet we find that the good news is that we have forgiveness in those moments where we struggle. But the, the final banner of God's victory is Christ on that cross. And when we trust in him, and when we trust in his resurrection, we find a new identity and a sure hope that just as he was raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead to a world where there's no more sin, where there's no more brokenness, where we don't ignore the commands of God and do what we want, but where our hearts are perfectly aligned with God and we're in fully restored relationship and there are no more threats to the people of God. Now, I don't know what you're facing today, but I think that we can all think of, of maybe a few things that we wish had gone differently in our lives. Maybe things that are the result of other people's behavior or, or challenges that we face of being in a broken world, and maybe you're facing challenges right now that are out of your control, and you don't know what God is up to, and you might feel a sense of helplessness. 
Or maybe you're like me and you find that your greatest enemy is your own rebellion against God himself. And you find that the way that you act behind closed doors might not be in accordance with God's will. Or the way that you act in public might not honor God or point to him in the way that you hope. But today, I want us to be reminded of that. But I also want to encourage you that if Christ was truly raised from the dead, and the Bible asserts that he was, And if by being raised from the dead, he conquered sin, he freed us from sin, and he destroyed the power of death ultimately over our lives. And the Bible explicitly asserts that he did that for us. Then the Amalekites in this text are not only small potatoes, but every single enemy that we will ever face, every threat to the people of God will be thwarted because God is the victor. And it's his intentions and purposes that will stand. So as we come to the table today, I want us to remember that. And the pattern we're going to see and that we've seen time and time again in Exodus is that God acts in grace for his people and he asks us to respond. And so as we come to the elements today, I want us to remember that God has acted in grace. He has taken on flesh for us and he has saved us. He has done all of that. It is a free gift for us to accept And we are simply called to get up and respond to it. Let's pray together. Merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought and in word and in deed. Lord, by the things that we've done and the things that we have left undone. Lord, we look back at moments in our lives and we recognize that uh, life is not all sunshine and daisies. There are real challenges that we face. There are real threats to our circumstances in life. And some of those things are done by others and some of those things we have brought on ourselves as we've rebelled against you. And Lord, we confess that we have also created challenges for other people, this vicious cycle that only finds its solution in Christ We confess that we've not loved you with our whole heart, our mind, and strength. And Lord, we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves in many ways. Lord, in your mercy, would you forgive us for what we've been? Would you change us? Would you make us a new creation in Christ by your spirit? Lord, would you help us amend what we are and would you direct what we shall be? Would you help us to look back on what you have done in the scriptures and be propelled into the present and the future as we have a a, a raised awareness that you are the one who brings victory. Lord, would you do this that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And all God's people said, amen.